Hey everybody, welcome to Social Beauty Makers, the podcast where every Sunday and Wednesday, we'll bring you fast-paced, powerful 15-minute episodes meant to inform, educate, and inspire around a variety of topics, including trends in all things tech for the professional salon industry. Today, I'm going to do a solo riff on future generations of professionals and what I believe those of us in the industry owe to them all. I'm Gordon Miller, the podcast host. Thanks for tuning in. Um, let's get started. Um, and let me say, I have a cold. It's a weird time to get a cold. You know, you got to get out the COVID test and all that sort of stuff. So, but anyway, it's not COVID. It is a cold and I'm a little bit gravelly voiced and I'm enjoying the day quill. But um, anyway, uh, pardon, pardon the voice. All right. So on to our topic. In my opinion, the biggest challenge facing the industry today, and one that's actually been with us pretty much my entire career, um, and I would argue that today it, has, it is at its worst, um, and that is the number of new professionals who don't make it. You know, the 80% or so of new licensees who leave the industry within three years of coming into it. And you know, we are forever challenged with not having enough professionals coming into the industry. That, that is the bigger conversation that has been around. And I, and I get it. It's a problem. The most important question to ask is why? And you know, we've been focused on one specific idea, which is that people don't want to come into the industry for some reason. They think you know, less of the industry than they perhaps do of others. I've spoken about that on previous podcasts. I'm not going to dig into that now, but I have to say that I, I believe that the biggest issue surrounding the workforce and is that people leave. Um, so many of them leave. And the second challenge that we have in the industry is too many quote unquote chairs and the confusion around what those chairs mean, those who don't have people standing behind them, um, and what it says about the state of the industry. I'm going to start there. Um, consumers from everything I read and listen to and looking at the big picture, but also just in general conversations, consumers are not saying they can't find someone to do their hair. It's not saying it, you know. Um, we seem to be saying it, you know, that there's this shortage, you know. Um, but in reality, I would say that we have people who own businesses that have chairs in them, commission or rental. And as owners of those businesses, rightfully so, they want bodies behind every chair. They want a productive salon. They want to bring as much into the salon as they can to benefit all who work there and themselves as owners who've invested their time and, and their money and their their lives into businesses. I, I get it completely. But big picture, you know, when a salon has a chair that nobody's standing behind, and I think that's most salons in America today, by the way, um, that doesn't in and of itself mean that we have a labor shortage or, or a workforce problem. I would argue that mathematically, hard to do on a podcast, I wish I had a white, could do a whiteboard here for you, but um, the reality is that we likely have too many chairs, way too many. And I've long argued that we have overbuilt the industry's physical space, you know, the capacity, if you will, of, of the industry to do people's hair, to take care of clients. If you add up all the chairs and, and do the math as it relates to the number of consumers who could potentially go to the salons, there's, there's a huge disconnect. You know, we, we have overbuilt. A great example of that is suites. You know, suites are spreading all around the country and Good for them. You know, it's, it's, it's all good. I have no criticism of business models. But I live in a neighborhood in Chicago, and I've, I would say in the last maybe three years, um, I'm aware of five different suite organizations that have come into the part of the city where I live. 
And there were no shortage of salons and no shortage of hairdressers, trust me, in, in this area. Um, again, I, I, I roam around it. I've talked about this before, but I roam around the neighborhood. I'm always looking to see what everybody's doing in the salons. And you know, uh, what I've seen over the years is that most salons um, don't have people behind all their chairs, um, but they don't have clients to fill them. And a lot of them have just kind of accepted that. You know, they, they might downsize if they had the money to do it, but, they, but that's not what's happened. And so suites come in when there's not a shortage of hairdressers or not a shortage of salons. And now we have more chairs. And of course, the owners of the suites want people to be in behind those chairs. And so again, it's, uh, it's complicated. It's business. It's capitalism. Um, get all of it. Um, have no issue with it. Um, the issue I have is, is how we think about all this stuff and how we think about the workforce, the people who do the everyday work in our salons, whether they're independents, whether they're salon owners, whether they're commission, team-based, you know, whatever, um, but everybody who works in it. And I would say that we have kind of a, a big hole in our proverbial boat and we need to plug it. Um, and, um, and what I mean by that is we have to help more people stay in the industry longer. Putting aside that issue of chairs, you know, our Number one problem isn't attracting new talent. It's retaining more of the talent that we have. Now, we need more talent always. Of course, people retire, people leave for all kinds of reasons, and, and people are leaving. But if we can reduce the, the rate of people leaving, um, which has consistently been very, very high in the early years of a career, then that helps to solve some of that problem. And I think it's, it, in many ways, it might be easier to put a massive effort towards retention than it is to put a massive effort towards attracting more people to come into the industry because we as an industry have been focused on that for the last 25 years at least and the reported number of openings um, you know by those who keep track of this stuff i don't necessarily always agree with the math it's actually gotten worse instead of better <laughs> so after 20 some years of putting millions of dollars into it millions and um, so um, again, I, I would hope that we, somebody listening to this who has millions of dollars, <laughs> big companies, um, uh, the collective industry, the institutions, you know, will, you know, take this to heart, you know, this message that um, because today, um, more than ever, this is a challenge. So why are people leaving? You know, that, that should be, you know, the question, you know. And I would also say, you know, when we talk about people not coming into the industry, you know, there's, there's always that, like, you know, how are we going to change the perception of the industry? Which, you know, I, I tend to argue, I don't think it's, it's what some people think that it is, because I think people love their hairdressers. Um, but I also can tell you that there are literally millions right now, millions of beauty school dropouts and early career fails out there, you know, in the, in the general public. Trust me, millions. Um, not tens of millions, but millions, uh, probably many more than the current workforce because it's been going on for decades. It's just, it's a number. It is what it is. I meet them everywhere I go, you know, and that's normal. I sit on an airplane sometimes and the person next to me, when we talk about what, what everybody does, it's like, oh, my daughter, my sister, my son, you know, went to beauty school or became a hairdresser, but, you know, didn't make it. So you hear about it. And by the way, that's normal across all industries. So it's, it's not a criticism of our industry. Um, people do not complete all kinds of schools and colleges. Um, and, and the rates of failure are pretty much consistent, regardless of the category. And then in terms of career uh, movement, leaving the careers, I'm not sure about the numbers in other industries. 
But what I am sure of is that we can work to improve workforce retention. I just had an experience uh, about two weeks ago. I met a um, very successful events producer uh, here in Chicago. In her mid-30s, and we were talking about stuff and explaining what I do. And she said, oh my gosh, I went to cosmetology school and I graduated and I got a job. And then she kind of got sheepish and she said, but I didn't stay in the industry. And, and she said, in spite of loving hair, so I really loved it. It's what I really wanted to do. But she said that I, I made more money waiting tables and I, I just couldn't afford to wait to make enough money to live. And she then went a different round. She said she still is interested, still kind of plays with hair a little bit, but that was the problem for her. And it was such a reminder to me of the many conversations I've had with so many people over the years, uh, former professionals who I've bumped into and asked, what are they doing today? And they've left. And more often than not, it's because of finance. Over the last 20 years, the industry has changed dramatically in, in ways that should concern all of us as it relates to keeping people within the industry. Today, I'd argue that the support for professionals, which I think is a bedrock for people, keeping people in it, is at an all-time low. Um, and, and why do I say that? As independence grows, and again, I have no problem with, with business issues, but I think we have to kind of think what do we have around these, these, these um, business models to support people. Um, again, from the institutions, from manufacturers, from distributors, from educational companies, like you know, how do we support them? And is there enough support? So as independence grows, access to education goes down. You know, you're not in that organized salon that maybe is bringing people in. It just, just goes down. Access to role models and mentors absolutely goes down because you're not in that environment. And not that everybody who's in you know, a more traditional salon has, has that. That's why many people go to independence. So it's a complicated conversation. I would also add even just access to information, you know, what, what's going on in the industry. You, know, you get that often from your colleagues and, and you know, everybody's sharing that. And again, in the independent world, it's, it's a little more difficult. Like everything, you know, there's um, kind of that 80-20 rule. And I would say in, in each category, you know, you've got that 20% who are kind of killing it regardless of the business model. They were meant to succeed, I think. And then there's that other side that they need that help. You know, um, I, I believe over the course of my career, I've needed that help. So. I, I just think it's so important. And I think we have to recognize the times we live in that these things are shifting. And um, yeah, it's, it, it's a concern. And I also have to say that, you know, um, kind of contextually, um, you know, I spent 20 plus years of my career in the school part of the industry. And so I, I have a connection to it that I've always kind of maintained. Um, it's been probably the favorite part of my career. I've had just, my entire career has been amazing, but the school stuff was, was pretty special. I came into it by mistake. I spent five years learning how to manage schools and then three years um, in Salt Lake City managing a small chain of schools. Um, met my friend, Wynn Clayball. We were both in our 20s. <laughs> um, then Pivot Point found me. I was with Pivot Point for 10 years, became a VP. Um, then I left uh, to become president of Milady, so the biggest publishing company in, in the school industry. So I, you know, I was deep in the weeds in the school industry and, and know it well. And, what I have to say about students, I've been in hundreds of schools, I ran schools, um, small and big. And you know, people coming to school, my, my gut was always, they came for a better life. Um, they came for a new career. Um, I didn't run into hardly anybody who I thought was there for the wrong reasons. And, and I always think it's important that we remember that. And I also came away from all those years with this kind of profound understanding of 
that we need to protect these newbies, you know, the new generations. And we need to be thinking about the future of the industry and, and put things in place to protect new generations coming down the road. That could mean that we have to change the laws, change the regulations, you know, to keep pace, not only with the times, but the people who live in the times who are coming into the industry. We need to inspire and educate and set expectations because as the world changes, expectations should change because things are changing. If a person going into the independent space, you know, that they, they should have a different set of expectations than someone who's going into a traditional salon. Um, so, you know, um, yeah, we need to do all of that. I would say more so than ever now. Big, big picture. You know, uh, early careers, always a challenge. And again, I, I think that's true everywhere. We don't have enough data to really understand that. But I think we also have to recognize that patience today um, is not really valued as an attribute. Um, and, and expectations around success, because of social media, are really high. Um, you know, we, when you think about social media and, and kind of where we are today, you, know, you hear a lot about self-esteem and how social media is affecting self-image and self-esteem, how it's affecting it in a negative way. And if, when I think about our industry and that specific issue, you know, because I think you can look at that in a variety of ways, how does for a young person coming into the industry who's active on social media, because I would think they're more active than, than most because they grew up with it. How does a person coming into the industry who's really interested and in paying attention you know, how do they feel about all the talk about six-figure hairdressers and six-figure and, you know, big, big dollars, which can be very aspirational. And I, I, I'm not suggesting that people don't talk about it, but I think it's important that we realize that as it's been talked about so much, it's really more important than ever that we set their expectations as young people or, or as new professionals, they may not all be young, um, but that we help set their expectations so they kind of have a sense of what that might look like for them going forward. Because again, you just, if, if you just look on social, it's like, oh, this is supposed to happen, like, you know, now. And so to me, one of the bigger questions is how many do we lose? Because we just haven't as an industry, um, as, as individual people who work with young people, that we haven't set their expectations properly. And I'm gonna kind of layer on top of that, you know, just the, graduating school and the kind of the conundrum of, of getting that first job, which we, most of us know is so, so important. Person graduates, they want to get to work. And too often, young people take the first opportunity um, that, that shows up in front of them. And, you know, it's, it's very much a make or break time in a person's career. That first job can take them great places in, beyond even working in that particular situation. Um, or it can crush their souls, you know, and, and everything in between. And I think that there's a lot of confusion about this issue as well and, and what matters most in, in, in doing it and how to do it. And, you know, again, I think there's more that needs to be done in this area uh, to inform people and, and to, again, properly set those expectations. All right. So getting back to that plugging the hole in the boat, we live in changing times. We have growing challenges. Um, and, and I think we need to work on perhaps changing our response to those challenges. Big picture, what do I think is needed? Mentors. Um, it is one of the most common stories I hear from those who have been successful in this industry, regardless of age. Um, they had a mentor who helped them to change their career, to change their life. 
But given the shifts in the business model, again, we've got a shortage of mentors. Um, I would argue a massive shortage. If you look at the spike we've seen in the independent side of the industry, you just can intuitively assume that we don't have enough mentors. And that is a huge, huge problem for the industry, given what we know about it and, and what we know about building success. So mentoring at scale, you know, big picture is probably some of the most important work ahead for this industry. How do we institutionalize somehow mentorship? I think it's important to say here that, you know, the opportunity to pay it forward by mentoring the next generation, you know, individually, as a company, as a salon, as a, as a bigger company, as a brand, you know, the, and, and the value of that it is absolutely priceless. All right, so I'm out of time. I'm going to stop here. Um, my day quill might be wearing off a little bit, so it's time to go. Um, but if, if you like what you heard, I encourage you to visit socialbeautymakers.com and sign up for my free e-newsletter for more content and early access to the podcast that comes out over there a day early. If you like the podcast, I'd appreciate a rating, review, subscribe to it, um, or better yet, share it. All of that helps others to find the podcast. Uh, once again, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I'm Gordon Miller. I can't wait to share more with you next time.